There you there are. There we go. Thank you. Hello. For the- hey, how are you? I'm doing well. It's been quite the day. <laughs> well, thank you for being very flexible with me. I apologize. I, I did hit me last second. I got an alert saying your meeting's starting. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I have a meeting at three and it was a, it was a different one. I had uh, already been on schedule. And so there you go. All good. My bad. Um, You're good. So, okay. Well, cool. Well, listen, Jamie, um, Jamie Bernowitz, right? Is that my, am I pronouncing that right? All right. And you're, oh, good. And you're in DC and you're with um, a bake joint and La Betty and uh, you are, you work with Tessa out there. Who I'm, I'm so fond of. Yeah. So people don't think that it's a family run business. I feel like a lot of people in DC only know baked and wired for their cupcakes. A lot of people don't even know that a bake joint and La Betty are part of the same family business. Usually when businesses are so huge and so well-known, they think it's like some corporate entity, but it's really just mom, dad, son, and daughter running the show, the Velasquez family. So Teresa, uh, Tessa's family. Pretty great. Uh, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed he- hearing her story uh, for this same podcast uh, about a year ago, I believe. And uh, just what a nice person and clearly comes from a great family and a family of, you know, that, love what they do and care very much about their team and their guests and the DC area. And well, so how long have you been in hospitality and what's your, what's your backstory? So I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, I think I moved to DC. I moved to DC for college. I went to American university. So I'm from Long Island. I moved to DC in 2013. So almost 10 years now I've been in DC Um, Growing up, I mean, my dad's a chef. He worked in the finance world for his entire life. Um, 2008, little rough tumbles in New York City those days. And when he decided to leave Wall Street, he became a chef. And he went to the Institute of Culinary Education and decided to lean into his love of food. And that's when he decided to open up a restaurant right in the town that I grew up in. So, you know, once I was in high school... Once I was out of class, I was at his restaurant working. Um, I was fairly young to be taking tables at that time, so they had me on salad prep, and I loved it. Oh, that's <laughs> it was awesome. the greatest thing ever. So here was my dad who left Wall Street during the craziness and decided to open up his own restaurant because he loved it, and he, he had a passion for food and a passion for the community, and I was able to just, like, hop right in and help my dad, even if it was just, like, salads in the back. I loved being able to just like be on the line and help them, even though I was kind of, I was like 13 at the time. So I wasn't really ready for tables, but I love to see the behind the scenes, even at a young age. So that's kind of, I guess, where it began. Um, and my brother worked there with us. So he was kind of doing his thing. I was doing my thing and my dad kind of ran the show and that's where hospitality began for me. I mean, 12, 13 years old and Then my dad moved to Florida and I decided to stay in the hospitality world and I worked for a pizza shop and we were busy and it was basically me just working there and figuring out how things run and how things should be running and what's kind of bad and what's good. And, you know, from a position of just selling pizza and being behind the counter and ringing in orders, there's not much that you could really do or decide or if you see something that needs to be fixed you're not the one in the position to be fixing and I think growing up in a way where you're seeing the management behind the scenes 
that's where your brain starts to work a little differently. I don't know about you, but every time I go into a restaurant and I see things that could be run a little smoother, the little things go off in my head and I'm like, only if only they knew they could be doing this. If only they knew they could be doing this, their life would be so much easier. Yeah. You know? So I think, you know, when you hit that part, that wall of like every single restaurant that you're going to, you think you can help and find a way for them to make their lives easier and you want to be able to help them and fix and realize. And then you take a step back and you're like, there are things that work at some places that don't work at others. And is this, is this the way the community likes it? Is this the way it works for their neighborhood? Is this the way it works for everything? And that's where I think, you know, experience is key because yeah. you can't just be stuck at one place. Cause how are you ever going to grow and learn and figure right. out what works for your place and what works for others. And I think that's what it really comes down to hospitality. You're never going to work at a place for 20 years unless you own it. And I think that's where people kind of learn and grow is by trying out different stores and different kind of types of cuisine. And, you know, there's a difference between a coffee shop and a hotel restaurant yeah. and those kind of things. And that's the only way I was able to really learn what I think worked for each individual establishment throughout my life is because they're all different. Yeah. There's no set instructions for how to run a place because something may work for this block that may not work for the next block which definitely will not work for the other neighborhood and that's kind of been an awesome part of my career is kind of seeing how things work for some places and not for the others and that's been pretty cool for me so I grew up in New York I did that restaurant with my dad kind of stuck around with some more restaurants over there a couple months before I moved to DC for college I worked in an Italian supermarket it was almost like a bougie gourmet supermarket, you know, butcher, um, yeah. fish, deli, specialty foods, produce, all of the above. And I was just like the checkout girl. I loved it. I thought it was so fun. Um, I love the idea of people coming in every single day to buy the ingredients that they're making, that they're going to be using for the meal that night, as opposed to stocking up for the next week or two weeks. They were coming in every day to buy ingredients for the meal they're making that night. And I love that. And that's something that I feel not many people realize that can be done and also can be done in a restaurant style as well. Mm. Going to get fresh produce that day to put on your menu that week, I think is so amazing. Whereas you, that can translate to your home as well. And I think that's kind of a cool thing to kind of make a parallel between home and restaurants is you don't need to be buying in bulk for weeks at a time. You can just buy the freshest produce and the freshest items for that meal, for that day, for that week. And that's kind of been cool for me to see on both ends, supermarket and in restaurant life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Maybe a little renaissance happening with people really getting back to appreciating where their food's coming from and, you know, having locally sourced food, whether it's at the restaurant or in the home. And, and like you said, making more trips to get, fresh things. And, um, that's really cool. You clearly have a lot of respect for just what that means, you know, to have quality, good ingredients that were raised with intention that, you know, are good for you that can be prepared in a really meaningful way and put on a table where people can gather and have conversations or, or just be quiet for a while, but just share in, in, in a meal. It's a better experience. I think it lends more to the experience than people think, whether it's, you know, a specific wine chosen to be 
drank with the meal that you're being served, whether it's a specific produce that can only be found in that area that you're eating it in. I just came back from Italy and it's a completely different kind of lifestyle. Mm. And I loved it. It was so cool to kind of see the cultural cultural background behind food there. I mean, I went to three different cities and there was three different ways to eat. And I loved seeing that. And what do you mean three different ways to eat? Like, like, you know, Rome, when you're in Rome, you have to have a reservation. If you don't have a reservation in Rome, you're not eating dinner that night. <laughs> it's wow. basically, you know, let's say a dinner a establishment has eight tables. They have eight time slots because they assume that you're going to have that table the entire night. Yeah. So if your reservation's for 7 p.m., that 7 p.m. table is booked because they assume that you're going to be eating and drinking and inviting friends and you're leaving when they close up. And that's so crazy to think about because in the United States and D.C., we're like, all right, you go so the other table can come in. And yeah, I think that right. was so cool for me to see. You know, in Florence, nothing's open before nine. Everyone's like, sleep in relax, you'll get your coffee at 10. Here, you have to be open at 6.30 because people are going to work, they need their coffee. Yeah, for sure. And it's like the elements that are around you, we need to kind of like respect. So here, business is decided by the people, whereas yeah. people's lifestyle in Italy, it's decided by the businesses. Like yeah. your coffee can wait. We're gonna all wake up, we're gonna you know, take a lackadaisical the first couple hours, and then we'll all get our coffee. <laughs> you know, here it's like, you guys need to open up at six because I got to get to work earlier. And we're like, all right, you're right. <laughs> That's so true. That actually makes me anxious thinking about like having to wait till 10 to get a coffee. <laughs> I know, I know. Believe me, that was hard for us. What do I do? <laughs> That's kind of the problem. And it's not like, it's not like you have a Keurig. It's not like yeah. you have a at home. That's so that funny? So it, it changed things for me. And I think that that was interesting. Um, when I got back from there, like what, what did you bring back that you think will, uh, you know, perhaps help you evolve uh, what you're doing here? I like the idea of taking things slow. I think when a bake joint, um, we're a huge coffee shop, huge cafe. We have more product than I think people realize. It's not just sourdoughs. It's not just, you know, a, biscuit sammy that we are very no well known for. We have a full sandwich menu, full soups, full salads. We have a huge menu. And I think because we see so many customers, we are so inclined to get the food out as quick as possible so they can eat as quick as possible so they can continue to go. And I think, and something that I've been working on with my staff is how important customer service is. Mm. Take, take your time taking that order. It's only going to take about a minute anyway, but if it's a minute and 30 seconds, you may be able to get to know them a little bit more, figure out what they actually truly want if they're kind of confused on what to order. Yeah. Ensure that they'll come back for a dessert after they've finished their meal. If you kind of communicate a little bit slower and really get to know the person and learn what they truly are interested in and want, you'll have a better experience in general. And I think you know, rushing people out to get that table so we can get that next table in. Although important in the restaurant industry, although that's like a base level function of, you know, serving new customers, I think taking things a bit slower is really important. 
it's not hugely important to have a billion products on your menu. As long as you have a solid selection of a few items that are tried and true and loved and ordered endlessly, you'll have a really nice setup. And we're so used to seeing the opposite in the States. And it's cool to almost dial it back, simplify and take your time. Amen. Amen. Uh, The customer service piece could not agree more. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's so rare nowadays to have like really genuine, authentic, intentional customer service that you, you definitely know it when you see it and you remember it and you, you're, you gravitate back to it. It's a magnet. I mean, it, because it's, it's hard to find. And uh, I, Man, I think that's so wise to share that with your staff and, and get them thinking that way because customers have a choice. They always do. They're, you know, and they, they, but they wind up finding places that they like to frequent. And so much of that is now the product has to be good and the ambience has to be good. But boy, the, the customer service can like be the full on differentiator. It can um, ruin everything or it can make their entire experience. Yeah. I think when I first came to DC, I went to American University. I did a couple jobs. I interned. Um, and then I started working at the cafe on the grounds of the National Cathedral. And it was beautiful to work in there. So I was working in a space that was a cottage that was 110 years old. They converted it to a little cafe. And of course, it was on the grounds of the cathedral. So we were getting a specific um, demographic to come, whether it was the students that went to the schools on the grounds, whether it was tourists or whether it was people who were attending the cathedral services, we were dealing with many different types of people. And we needed to make sure that, you know, we were as neutral as possible. We maintained a level of appropriateness. So there was many other things that I needed to worry about there than I need to worry about here. And a bake joint is in the center of the city it's very popular. And so we're going to get all different types of demographics. I would say even more than I got at the cathedral, surprisingly enough. Um, we're located near the convention center. So usually when there's large conventions in town, we're going to get all kinds of people, which is good. And it kind of keeps us on our toes. But it's been a real push of mine because I think people forgot how to be social during the pandemic. I yeah. think forgot how to speak to people, how to communicate with people, how to find some common ground with people. And it's almost like that can't come across in a restaurant. You need to really feel like you're there with that person, like you're sharing similar struggles, number one, which we are, it's hard to live in a pandemic, period. Two, if you need help with the menu, I've got the knowledge. You don't, I do, let me help you. And I think being open and willing to work with whoever you're speaking with, no matter who it is, what kind of person, you know, religious affiliation, political affiliation, none of that matters when you come to a restaurant. You're there to eat, you're there to enjoy, you're there to get some drinks that you love. And I think customers wanna feel that safety as much as we want to feel that safety. And I think during that pandemic, I think everyone forgot how to act. (laughs) everyone forgot how to have simple conversation, mindful conversation, even deep, impactful information, uh, conversation. And this is me trying to like wheel it back, reel it in and just make sure any new hires I bring on that they're aware that, you know, we're here to provide the best experience for the customers. 
guaranteed if we're nice, they're going to be nice back to us. Yeah. Tried and true. Very true. Very true. Um, it, you know, it's interesting you say that. I, I've been speaking to restaurant people all over the country, and that's a pretty common refrain, which I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't, it's not something I would have guessed. Um, but the idea that people forgot how to, like, that's weird to me. It's a weird it's thing weird. Uh, that, you know, I mean, in this, you know, big picture, short amount of time, uh, we, but I guess being isolated, in addition to uh, so many people spending so much time on a screen or escaping into a screen, it's like all these aspects that are just so far from the, the human to human, you know, um, emotional relationship oriented uh, environment that you would get in a wonderful restaurant like yours. And so it's- And you may not realize that it's different. You may not realize that you're acting different. You may not realize that the people right. are treating you differently, yeah. but it's there. Less eye contact, I've noticed. People uh, not wanting to have a full dialogue because they're ingrained in their mind is, I can't stand this close to this person anymore. I got to go. Oh. I can't stand. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'd rather just be away. Like, here's my order and that's it. And, and I'll go stand over there. Yeah. You know, they forget that. So although it's, yes, it's of course important to be safe and keep your distance and all that good stuff. But I think people are so ingrained to keep their distance and not communicate and only wear masks and not, you know, and all this stuff. And I think it's just, we'll get back to it. I think everyone will get back to being normal again, but it, it did some damage. It did some social damage. And I think you know, you see all of these posts on Instagram, like, remember to tip your servers, remember to, you know, help them out, remember to not be too pushy, you know, and I, I think it goes both ways. Who knows who's having a bad day? Yeah. You know, yeah. who knows who actually just, you know, decided to get themselves out of bed to get to the coffee shop to get a coffee to start off their day in a better way. And if we make it worse, that's horrible. Right. We right. haven't done our job because that is our job. Yeah. Not their job. <laughs> yeah. You know, the masks, you know, it's interesting because they, um, they do, they take away so much. Just seeing people's eyes and you can, you can tell generally what mood people are in by looking at their eyes to for the most part. But I mean, just, just not being able to see smiles for that long. That's, a, that's not good. Like I, yeah, so I get that. Okay. Well, you, um, so you've got uh, a wonderful group of folks you work with, a wonderful team there, uh, really established brand. How long have you been with Tessa and the crew there? So I started with Bacon Wired Bake Joint um, a few months before the pandemic began. So I started oh, in wow. October 2019. Okay. Yeah, so just a few months before. And so Every week, starting March 16th, everything was changing. Day to yeah. day, week to week, we were just prepared on whatever was going to be released for us to adjust to. And I think that's the coolest part about this company is that they're prepared on a whim to make changes that are required for the business. Yeah. Whereas I, not many restaurants have the capabilities to make those changes on a whim. I think yeah. having a group of people that are on the same page that are ready to pull the trigger when they need to, to make hard decisions. It's important. And I think that's the, 
the basis of a well-ran, well-run business is having management, upper management, all on the same page, all yeah. understanding what's important for the company and just being prepared to make those changes as quick as possible. And I think that's why, truly, why we stayed ahead of the game during the pandemic. I mean, I could, I wish I was joking here. We got Grubhub installed two weeks before the pandemic began. So it was already there. Wow. Whereas all of these restaurants were almost rushing to get these third-party delivery services. We had ours. We maybe had, you know, one or two orders a day those two weeks. And then once the pandemic started and we couldn't have any seating inside, Grubhub took over and we were able to shift operations and just make quick adjustments right away. So yeah, I was definitely here for a few months before the pandemic. And now it's been, you know, a little over two years and it's been great to see how everything adjusts and moves and, you know, what products won't sell, what products will sell. Do we need, you know, to completely change the operational setup of our items to make more room for pickups and onlines and you know it's it's been good um it's been so hard everywhere for you know to find good people staffing's been such an issue um how, how do you delineate between really needing somebody badly on the staff right now but then having a candidate that you just know is not the right person for the job. Like, yeah, I'm the kind of general manager that will work a shift if it needs to be worked. Yeah. I'm happy to jump behind the counter where I position myself is a, a table right behind our little counter. So I'm always looking up to see if I could help. Now for me, I shouldn't be working shifts during the week. Um, if it comes down to me needing to work one or two or three shifts a week consistently, that's where I'll know I'll need to hire. Now, if it's just because someone went out of town and I needed to cover a shift, we're okay. But once I start to realize how many shifts I'm filling in for, that's when I decide to hire. Now, when it comes down to which candidate to hire, right now, not even worth getting into, but there's this big conversation of employee shortage and if that's true or not. And for me, it goes back and forth in my mind both days. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not true. Um, I'm always going to hire people with experience. I think that's really important. In a place that is as busy as a bake joint, to bring in somebody who has never worked in food service before would be doing a disservice to them. Yeah. Very hard. It's fast-paced. Yeah. If it's... If they show potential, I'll be happy to train them. And that will only come during a time where it's slow enough that I can, that I am not in a major need of employees. That's when I would bring on someone with no experience. Um, and it's not like I'm asking for much experience, really just someone who's worked in customer experience before and food. Um, so that comes down to if I'm working shifts, okay, I'll need someone. Two, definitely need experience and I need them to mesh well with my team because the team is solely possible based on teamwork and communication. I need to make sure that they'll all work together well. So slight experience and being open to constructive criticism and teamwork and communication, that's really a base level you know, requirement for me. Um, they come in and they have no experience and I'm 
in need of an employee, I'm open to training. If they have no experience, have no intention of learning, are showing me that they're not a team player, that's not something that's worth it for me. So I'm the kind of GM that will happily work if I can't find the right person. But, you know, it, it is hard. I mean, I had scheduled eight interviews last Wednesday and I had four people show up. Mm-hmm. So is it a labor shortage? Is it, you know, employees requiring more? I'm not sure. I think it varies case to case, store to store, state to state. It's hard. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, um, one more thing I want to ask you is, you know, we're, we're trying to have conversations with people that like you, you know, have chosen hospitality as a career who love what they do. You clearly do. Uh, and who are good at what they do. And you clearly are. What do you, like if somebody comes to you or somebody listening to this or watching this on YouTube or whatever, what is it about hospitality that keeps you doing what you, you do? I believe that the reason why I've stuck with hospitality and the reason why I've continued to enjoy it, no day is the same. I can wake up that morning and have nothing on my agenda for that day. And I can walk in through the door and have a full agenda stacked up against me, you know? And I think no day is ever going to be the same in the restaurant industry. There's always going to be something different that you have to do, that you have to react to, that you have to adjust to new ways of marketing, new products, keeping up with trends, keeping up with everything in between. I think the best part about hospitality is that no day is going to be the same. You're gonna have new battles, new successes, new everything day to day. And I think it's, it's what keeps me going. It's not boring. <laughs> it is never boring. That's awesome. Well, listen, I really appreciate you doing this. And, um, Oh, by the way, did your dad, he moved to Florida. Did he start another place down there? Yeah, so he started a taco truck. He wanted to try something as simplified as possible in Florida, Isla Mirada. So he was just chilling by the water. Oh, yeah. So now he's he's working for um, Aramark. So he's doing like the food and beverage behind the big scenes. So just a little bit different, basically yeah. training food menus for like the small cafes and hospitals. So, you know different kinds of jobs out there in the hospitality world. You can Tons find something that works for you. And then if you don't, you can always move on to the next realm. That's right. There's lots of opportunities. There's millions and millions of jobs, especially now there are lots of opportunities. Um, listen, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for uh, just sharing and, and the great conversation. And, you know, I really, really very much uh, hope to get to DC I know I will get to DC at some point. And when I do, uh, I'm going to come see y'all. I I just, Tessa had me so the first time I spoke with her and y'all just have a great organization. I can tell. So uh, in the meantime, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate your business. Appreciate your time. And uh, you know where I am if you ever need anything. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Definitely let us know if you're ever in DC, you'll get to finally check us out. All right. See you. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye.